welcome to the Beyond Medicine podcast. My name is Rami Webby, and I'm your host. In this podcast, we bring you inspiring leaders from across the medical landscape and explore the cutting edge of science and medicine. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Aaliyah Thompson, and we're doing a follow-up episode to our last recording that we did where Aaliyah interviewed me on the show and I, I kind of talked about my journey through training. And since then, we've had a lot of interesting feedback. I've gotten a lot of messages from people and it's actually been really eye-opening for me to see how much people resonated with a lot of what Aaliyah and I talked about. And it's also reaffirmed to me that a lot of what I was saying or feeling was not just in my head. You know, a lot of people could relate to it and a lot of people felt the same way. So um, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive today with Leah and we'll just, we'll just bounce some uh, ideas off of each other. So, all right. So what's up, Leah? I'm just really excited to be here and thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be in your office, which is super cool. And like my are those ones that you did? Uh, I did that one and that one. That's impressive. Yeah. You could um, have like a whole nother career. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just ex- I don't know. I'm excited to be here and excited to hear about feedback that people had. I think, I mean, the whole point of doing any of this is trying to connect with other people and reach other people and figure out, you know, how to have a good life in this field. Yeah. Which is hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been out of training now for a couple months. Yes. Um, how's that going? Um, it is stressful. It is different than I expected. And, you know, I used to, I used to hate actually when people said this, you know, you know, when you're in medical school or in residency and you hear from some attendings that like, it's like you hear this dichotomy of either like, just wait till you're out of residency. Everything's better. It's like, you know, the golden years, like you just have to get there. Mm -hmm. So that was what was kind of put in my head for the most part. Some people, you know, would say, you know, it's super stressful. Like it's really hard, you know, stop doing what you're doing, but you're already too far in that you just kind of ignore those voices. At least that's what I did. And so I think when I got out of training, I was kind of waiting for this promised land of like a good salary, good work hours, you know, feeling good in my career, feeling confident. And a lot of those things have not been totally accurate. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some disappointment and frustration with that. And ultimately, though, I think it has led me to now trying to figure out what do I need to do to really get myself to a place where I'm happier? Because right now, Mm. that's not where I'm at. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. And that there is this, you know, you're always told there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you're almost there. And you think that and you believe that and then you get out and you realize there is no light at the end of the tunnel. This is, it's, this is a never ending tunnel Mm -hmm. that is dark. (laughs) And I think it's like, you know, people think that it's their own fault, which it's totally not. It's, you know, the large majority I think is the system. I think from years of therapy, I can totally understand how we each have some of our own control and, you know, can respond to different situations differently or advocate for ourselves more. But I do think we're still functioning in a pretty broken system, which makes it really difficult. Yeah. For me, I really believe that you have to create your own light especially in medicine, like this Mm -hmm. career is not meant to make you happy. You know, you're getting squeezed. There's too many interests involved and there's too much money involved. And it really doesn't leave a lot of room for you to have the 
the control over your career or the say in your career that you might have, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I don't know when. We're sold though that this is a dream. I was, I was like scrolling on Facebook and I saw this advertisement from like a, it was like a Caribbean medical school and it said, follow your dream of becoming yeah. a doctor. And I, yeah. Just like the pop culture bullshit of being yeah. a doctor. You know, if it wasn't sold to you like that, maybe you'd have different expectations. You know, and I talked to my husband a lot about this because he is an engineer and has, I guess, more of a typical career. And I always try to ask him, you know, do you love your job? Is it just okay? Like, do you hate it? Like, what's normal? I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a subset of people like you and I that are not happy with how things are going and not willing to settle for that Mm -hmm. either. I talked to my therapist about that a lot, actually. She's like, you know, some people might be okay with the the current climate of healthcare and and working in a clinic and seeing 20 some patients per day. Some people that might work for them. And if it does work for you, like that's fine. But I think there's a subset of us that it doesn't work for us, but it's really hard to see where do we go from here? You know, mm-hmm. I thought that whenever I got my first job, like it would be like I arrived, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> OK, we're here and I'm planning to do this and this is how it's going to be. Maybe I'll change things a little bit as things go. But I never imagined that, like, I would feel the way that I feel now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because it's almost like you don't know what a good job should feel like anymore or you don't know what being happy in your job is supposed to be like. Right. You can be fulfilled. And I think some, I think a a percentage of doctors are fulfilled in their jobs. It's fulfilling for them to take care of patients, but it's also wrecking their lives, burning them out. So. Well, I think in residency too, I always told myself like residency is very destabilizing. You Mm -hmm. switch from rotation to rotation, especially for family medicine specifically. I would go from inpatient to outpatient to shadowing somebody in a different specialty, like to working in the OR. It was all over the place. And Mm -hmm. so whenever I was about to graduate, I knew my first job would help teach me like what I would want. Yeah. And because I didn't even know when I was in residency, I was like, how many work weeks have I actually have where I work in clinic five days a week and see patients or how many work weeks have I had where I am in control on the inpatient floor and I'm, you know, quote unquote, the hospitalist? Not that many, you yeah. know? And so I think everyone's first job in medicine probably is pretty eye opening as to what they like and don't like, which is pretty far along, you know, like I'm seven years deep, <laughs> at <laughs> least, you know, not including college. So it's just a weird place to be when you're like, I just turned 30 recently and you're like, okay, I finally feel like I'm you know, where I'm supposed to be. But then you kind of have this eye opening moment of like, actually, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be because right now it doesn't feel like it's the right thing. Yeah. You're still figuring it out. You're just yeah. getting, and we talked about this earlier. It's like, you're still stabilizing yourself after all of the destabilizing that happened in residency where oh, yeah. you're on a different rotation each month. You're on a yeah. different call schedule. You're not sleeping right. All things are that are like proven, like scientifically proven to be very harmful mm-hmm. to our health. I always you know, say I'm going to need like 10 years of therapy to dig myself out of like what residency oh, did. Oh, 100%. It's taken me a full, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's taken me a full year to regain my health. Yeah. And after the accumulation of, let's we'll call it destabilizing of medical school and residency. Mm-hmm. And you you forget, it's like the temperature is always being raised in, in medical training. Mm-hmm. You're getting exposed to more and more and you're getting desensitized more and more to where you think 
like horrible practices are actually just normal. Yeah. Like you think it's just normal to not sleep for a week. Mm -hmm. It's just normal to walk around depressed all day. Mm -hmm. It's just normal to tolerate bullshit and bite your tongue, you know, in every scenario mm -hmm. that you could possibly be in. Like that's not normal. Having boundaries is normal. Yeah. The patient steps out of line and having boundaries, that's normal. If your higher ups are treating you unfairly, you speaking up or drawing a line, that's normal. But we're taught in residency that that's not normal. We're taught that, you know, you got to be a little grunt and mm -hmm. there's, there's so much on the line and there's so much at stake that we can't risk any of that. And so yeah. you come out on the other side of all of this. And I talked about this with Kyle from Resolve in the last episode of this beaten puppy mentality mm -hmm. where you come out on the other side, not knowing how to be a normal human being again. It's all fear-based. I mean, it's so much fear. And I constantly recognize that in myself, even now from residency, you know, in residency is the fear of like, you speak up and you'll get fired. You'll speak up against your program and your program will get shut down and then you'll still be in a bad situation. So I think it's like constant conditioning of like, sit down, be quiet, get your head down and get through it. And then on the other side, you'll be okay. Attending life's okay. And I think for a lot of people that's proven to not be true. And I, I honestly, I hate saying it because I remember hearing these words and blocking them out. Cause I was like, I'm already $278,000 in debt. <laughs> I can't afford to think that there is no promised land. Like I just couldn't do yeah. it. I knew I couldn't make it through residency without having this, like something's going to be better on the other yeah. side. You need hope. Yes. Yeah. You need yeah. some hope. And there yes. is, there is hope. We'll, we'll talk about the hopeful parts of this because I think there is a lot of hope for, for people. Right, yeah. I don't want people to yeah. think we're just like, yeah. you know, no, <laughs> really, really touting things. We're going to try to fix things. But nobody talks about plan. this. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, nobody then talks you feel, about it. Then you feel alone. I yeah. mean, a lot of the times I think in residency when some of my colleagues like wouldn't say anything about bad things going on or, you know, whatever, I felt alone. Like I was going a little bit crazy. Like, oh, I'm crazy to think that this is like abnormal or mistreatment or whatever. And I think the less people that are talking about it, you know, the, the more alone we're all going to feel, which is not good. We need to feel, I think you've talked about this before. We need to feel empowered. We need to feel like more togetherness mm -hmm. and that's just not happening right now. And I think of course COVID has like totally annihilated a whole yeah. bunch of other things too, but mm -hmm. maybe a reckoning this is, is like, coming. Yeah. Maybe this is like good for the reckoning. <laughs> yeah. Winter is coming, <laughs> but for real, I really think a reckoning of unprecedented magnitude is approaching us. And I think that we're going to face a massive resignation of clinicians, mm -hmm. which we are already experiencing. Mm -hmm. There's already, you know, we've known about the doctor and clinician shortage for a long time. COVID is exacerbating that, you know, it's almost impossible to staff an ER with nurses at this point. Mm -hmm. Conditions have gotten really bad for a lot of healthcare workers and the pay hasn't improved. Right. The treatment hasn't improved. Right. And, you know, there's going to be a reckoning. People are going to have to pay for this and it's going to end up being the patients mm -hmm. and clinicians too, because, yeah. you know, I just feel that there's going to be so many people that are just done and leave and go do right. other things. And there's going to be other options for them. There's new markets that are emerging right now after, well, after COVID and everything. Well, I think people are getting, you know, smarter. And I, you know, even though sometimes I think I hate social, sometimes, you know, I do see that it provides a lot of connection. And that's, you know, every year I make some new connection that leads me somewhere different. And I think people are 
utilizing social, obviously, to connect with other people and figure out what are these other things that doctors and other healthcare providers can do that's mm-hmm. not clinical based work. It's scary though, because I'm like, you know, individually, yeah, if I can find something that's non-clinical and and do that part-time and do some clinical part-time, maybe that would be a better fit for me. I don't know. But on a more mass scale, it's kind of scary because I know there's already a shortage of primary care providers. There's already a shortage of good primary care providers. And I mean, I'm a person too. I need a primary care provider, you know, and if all these people leave, like, what are we going to do? Exactly. I really don't know. Yeah. And that's the, that's the dilemma here. Like, what do you do? I refuse to advocate for any doctor to stay in a career if it's, if it's harming them or hurting their families. And I don't think that we should just put up with it. And I'd rather watch the system burn then watch every all my colleagues burn. Right. I think you know? all of, you know, our generation especially is very in tune with our mental health and values it way more than I think maybe other generations do or mm. are more vocal. Maybe we're more vocal about it. I don't know. But I see that a lot in people our age, which is we're not willing to go down, mm. you know, yeah, without, you know, without finding something different. Yeah, without <laughs> a fight. Yeah. So anyways... What kind of feedback did we get about our episode? I don't know. We just went on um, total. Yeah. Well, here I've, I've gotten a lot of submissions on the website. And then we also got, I just got personal messages. Surprisingly, I got some messages from students. Let's see, I got one from a student here. I think it was like a, a, a medical student. That's cool that medical students are listening to your podcast. I wish I would have been more just like open-minded or I don't know woke is that the mm-hmm. right word <laughs> yeah <laughs> about stuff when i was in med school that maybe i could have you know changed things or whatever so i found the form this is actually really interesting i'm, I'm going to try and keep this person anonymous and try not to divulge any information that could give away the identity but i just discovered your podcast thank you for sharing the content and the work of innovators in medicine i'm reaching a point where i still like medicine but i'm not excited about the time demands that I can expect in the next few years. I listened to your story about why you left residency. I didn't know that it was possible to practice medicine without completing residency. How do you do this? Is this an option for me? I'm also looking at careers in biotech because I don't picture myself in full-time clinical medicine. I just haven't seen someone in your position and I'm not sure who to talk to about it and about my burning out. Mm. I thought that was an interesting submission. I mean, there is no, there's no transparency in medical school that you can do other things. Yeah. I totally believed that you had to work, you know, 40 hour work week in clinic or in, you know, in the hospital, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was that. And it is much more flexible than that. I will say that about Mm -hmm. our career is that it is more flexible You know, hospitalists oftentimes work like one week on, one week off. Mm -hmm. Clinicians in my field, you know, can work anywhere from like two days a week to five days a week or more if they wanted, I guess. Um, So it is very flexible in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But in many other ways, it is also inflexible. And you you said a good thing, Aliyah, and that was there's no transparency. And I really don't think there is. Like, why don't we know that 
you can get a medical license after a year of residency. Why would people tell us that though in yeah. medical school? The people that are running these medical schools, mm-hmm. a lot of the times aren't actually doctors. Yeah. You know, I think some medical schools, yes, there are some doctors that do like, you know, lectures and stuff like that. And and some may have higher ups that are clinicians, but most of them actually left clinical work to do what they're doing running the medical schools. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of them you know, I mean, a lot of these schools too, they, they want to churn out. Some of them have a focus for primary care or underserved care or whatever it is. People don't value in med school, like a lot of this innovative thinking, to Mm -hmm. be honest, at least I never saw that. Yeah. So I I think some of it's just lack of understanding or lack of awareness in some of the people that run these medical schools. Yeah. There's already so much stuff that's like jam packed into curriculum and a lot of it like doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's I mean, not like, just the medical schools even. It's the whole ACGME and the structuring of... Ooh, ooh Rami's yeah. going hard. <laughs> no, I am. Because, no, this is true. And yeah. the entire structuring of our curriculum is not made for you to be an independent anything. No, you're, meant to, have... you're meant to be a worker. You're yeah. meant to be a family medicine or, a, or an internist or a surgeon. And that's it. There's right. no other path outlined. Right. And we need to do a better job now with curriculum that that's mm-hmm. not the only path. There is a path for business and medicine. Mm-hmm. Look, like the fact that you can spend, like this blows my mind still, the fact that you can spend $300,000 on a medical degree, graduate medical school, and there's still like to this day, there's more medical students graduating than there are residencies available. I know. You can finish medical school with a useless medical degree. Mm-hmm. That you can't use to see any patients despite you having done all of the work, you know, all the four years mm-hmm. and graduated. Your degree is useless. And on top of that, and what I discovered after that process was that if you actually finish your medical degree and then don't do residency, you actually can't even volunteer to help people. You, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. You can't even because it, it's then considered malpractice. You're practicing, oh, cause you're, you're practicing medicine without a license. Oh my God. So you can't even go volunteer in a tent or do, um, like blood draws or anything like that because that's considered practicing medicine, which is hilarious. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's no transparency in these kinds of things. There's no transparency. If, if you want to leave in medical school, like what's the best route to do that? When should you do that versus not do that? You know, how do you get into these other career paths? you know, it's all like a black box. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the only way I have seen, and I guess for this person that gave the feedback, the only way that I have seen this kind of information be shared is talking to other people that have done it. Yeah. You know, recently I talked to somebody that works at Google health to just talk to her and say like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I know you went to residency. Uh, This person had gone to like a pediatric residency and completed it, but never actually practiced like clinical work because this person knew that it wasn't the right thing for them. And then now is working in AI at Google Health. And I just wanted to know more of like, how did you get from point A to point B? What Mm -hmm. were the steps? What do you need to do? And, you know, we're not really taught to do a lot of exploration once we're out of med school, you know, Mm -hmm. because you have to pick your specialty. You've got to nail it down And then you're married to it is what they make you think, Mm -hmm. even though it's very untrue. I know tons of people that switch, you know, residency programs and specialties even specifically. Look, like this is like another interesting question. 
Why are other provider groups like nurse practitioners and physician assistants? Okay, so they go through less training than doctors. Mm -hmm. They uh, are allowed to switch specialties whenever they want. They're allowed to go and get different experiences. Mm -hmm. They can go and start working right after two years of PA school. Mm -hmm. But a doctor who does four years of medical school and a year of residency can't practice medicine unless he goes and starts. Like, if you get your license, there's still barriers. Like, yeah. I can't go work in a hospital. Right. I can't go, like, not that I'd ever want to, but mm-hmm. there's still limitations. I'm not board certified, so I can't go and, like, uh, work for a hospital. Mm-hmm. I can't go um, join uh, most practices. I can join a private practice and still do some, work mm-hmm. with some insurance networks, but not all of them. Right. And, like, that's still a barrier. But why is a mid-level provider who has less experience than me able to go and work wherever they want for whatever practice they want, even switch specialties. Like these are the things our medical boards, our ACGME, they need to start addressing these things because they're flat out bullshit. They try to justify this. Like I've heard the counter arguments to these these sort of things. So let me give you a scenario. So, I mean, I'm definitely for, and I guess I want to be clear that I think nurse practitioners and PAs do add value to our system. Absolutely, they do. And I'm glad that they are allowed to have lateral movement because I think it is a wonderful thing Everybody for should. people. Yep. And yep. especially what if your life changes? What if now all of a sudden you have three kids and you want something different? I think you should be allowed to do that. Mm. But a scenario, okay. So I did my family medicine training for three years in addition to my medical school. So yes, I have more training than, you know, a PA or an NP coming out of school without residency training. Why I see a variety of conditions all the time. Why am I not allowed to say, say I wanted to do dermatology. Why can I not practice under a dermatologist? Exactly. Get training on the job, just like a PA or an NP does for, you know, time and use or, you know, utilize another clinician who has done the dermatology training to bounce ideas off, get more information, learn, et cetera. Why can't I do that too? Exactly. I'll tell you why. I don't really get it. It's interesting. It's clashing interests. That is the answer. Like from our own colleagues, even from our own yeah. colleagues. And I will say this, like if you're a dermatologist and you've done the four years of training, you're entitled to want to be the board, you, the your expert. board, yeah, the, expert. the expert. Yeah. So why would you open up your market to other practitioners that can most likely do the 99% of your job? Probably like, not, not, let's not say, let's say 95% because mm-hmm. there's the 5% of zebras that, you know, all that experience comes right. into play for, but an experienced doctor could come in and learn from you and do a almost informal residency and learn everything from you. Yeah. But why would you do that? Well, I think it's, it comes down to money too. I mean, NPs and PAs are notoriously paid less than doctors to do the same thing in a lot of scenarios. I mean, when you have a dermatology practice, I'm just using dermatology just cause not Mm -hmm. because of any specific reason, but you know, they see a lot of patients, they hire a couple of PAs to see more patients and they pay those PAs, I don't know, one third of what they pay a dermatologist, maybe less. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Why would they want to pay me my normal salary, which is probably more than a, maybe, maybe yeah. not even more. I don't know. But why yeah. would they want to do that? Yeah. I think it comes that down makes, to money yeah, and stuff, money. I guess. Yeah. But at least that would give us more flexibility for if you ended up not loving what you did. Yeah. I don't know. But everything's just too yeah. set in stone for us. We need to have more options. Exactly. Like, okay, let's, let's do, let's do an example here. Let's say you start taking an interest to be to endocrinology. 
you start taking an interest. That's like a black box for me. <laughs> okay, but let's say hypothetically, you start taking an interest. You're a board certified family yeah. medicine doctor. You start taking an interest to endocrinology and you already are seeing tons of diabetic patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have tons of experience in treating diabetes. What's to stop you from going and exploring just, you know, working with diabetic patients? Mm-hmm. Because the system would tell me that I need to go back to residency. Yeah. And there's no route for that, you know, for endocrinology comes out of an internal medicine residency, not family medicine. So why would I want to repeat the worst years? Yeah, it would be stupid to do that. It'd be absolutely terrible idea. But why wouldn't you, let's say one of your best friends is an endocrinologist Mm -hmm. and you're going to go and learn from their clinic two days Mm -hmm. a week. Well, there is some people that I think yeah. do some of this niche work, yeah. especially this happens actually out of family medicine. I see this a lot of people moving to functional functional medicine, right. right? Where they, you know, they're trying to get this extra training and then they open their own practice and they do only these things where they focus on, for example, PCOS, thyroid disorder and weight management or something. Mm-hmm. And they only do those things. They don't offer these other things. They say, I'm not in place of your primary care provider. Like I don't treat UTIs and give Z packs. I don't do any of that stuff. I only do these kind of couple of chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. I think that's a bigger issue with we're really bad at dealing with chronic conditions. We don't know enough and we're not very good at it. So patients don't like us because we're not curing their diseases or helping them in a lot of, you know, especially like PCOS is a great example where Mm -hmm. I think a lot of patients feel totally alienated they feel like they're not getting any better. Yeah. And so then they go seek out these other people that have kind of quote unquote alternative medicine, but they also have an MD or DO degree. Yeah. So they feel, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think like, <laughs> it's funny because this, let's say functional medicine became a fellowship and you have to become. I mean, it's a pseudo fellowship when you think about <laughs> yeah, it. Because integrative medicine is a, yeah. I, mean, I know they're not the same, but. They're pseudo. Yeah. But right now, most docs can just go and do a course and get functionally medicine certified, which I think is great. I think is actually really good. But like sometimes what I think happens in medicine, like let's say we went and made this official, like it's a residency. Mm-hmm. And you go get a functional medicine, you know, a piece of mm-hmm. paper. It well, makes they've you done bored. this with obesity medicine. Yeah. But and, then it know, excludes, it becomes exclusive. And so then yes. you get imposter syndrome yeah. as a fully qualified doctor. That, oh, it must be something you have to go through residency right. for in a full formal training. So I must not be good enough or right. I must not be smart enough to actually practice this right. because I don't have formal training in it. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of everything has to be formalized is, I think, bullshit. Yeah. I think doctors are incredibly smart people. I mm-hmm. think they are the cream of the crop when it comes to any like academic professional. And they can go and learn things on site, on the job. Right. We don't need to. Well, so so this came up actually in, um, I had a conversation with this person from Google Health and essentially what my question to this person was, you know, is how did you get from point A to point B, which was ending residency and then working at these startups basically. And I also asked, you know, if I was interested in that kind of a thing, should I go to business school? Should I go back and learn engineering? Like, you know, because I can do those things. Mm -hmm. I definitely can do that. But should I do that? And, you know, I told this person that I just felt, yeah, like what qualification or skill do I have to like work with a startup or, you know, weigh in on some new health product? I don't know. And this person broke it down pretty nicely for me. You know, all the things that I knew that no engineer or coding person knows. Exactly. You know, do they know how somebody goes from, you know, enters the emergency room, what happens when they're like 
there? What does it mean to be boarded in the ER? What happens when you get moved to the general floor? What about if you go to a step down unit? When you get discharged, what's what happens? Like you, you know, have a discharge appointment with your primary care provider, then what happens? And, you know, this person was telling me there's products and and different things that are being developed for every step of just a simple thing to to me that's simple yeah this process it's like patient comes in does this this and this and then this is the end result Mm -hmm. why would an engineer know that why would a coding person know that and so it really empowered me to be like i do actually have skills that are not clinically based you know because some clinically based things yeah it takes a lot of experience other things are guidelines you know who can read a guideline anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, most guidelines will be replaced by AI yeah. at some point in the future, <laughs> like guideline directed work or clinical work. But, but it's hard for- That's a, good, think- that's a good point that y- you have experience and you have insight, you have industry experience. Right. Like in a very in-depth way that you can't get doing any other kind of work. But none of us know how to market ourselves or find the right people because you know we've been brainwashed that it's just like you are a clinician. That is what you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the company I'm joining now, I'm Disrupt. So my thesis and what I'm most excited about with joining this company is this whole emerging industry of new expert work that's mm-hmm. going to become a big part of, I think, physician careers and clinical careers. So the gig economy has been around with like things like Upwork and Fiverr and you know, you can do these freelance jobs and consulting jobs. Like this has been a growing trend for quite a while now. I think in the future with the development of new technologies, with the growing emerging markets in AI and digital health and things of that sort, I think clinicians are going to have a lot of opportunities to do more of the these uh, quote unquote gig jobs mm-hmm. um, where they can be a health expert mm-hmm. where before there really wasn't need for health experts. But now with, when, when companies are building products for medicine, for health, they need doctors to help in evaluating these products and reviewing these products and mm-hmm. making these products better and helping the business and development team market these products, create the right messaging for these products. There's a whole new market that's emerging right now. And I think clinicians are going to have a huge opportunity here. And this is going to you know continue to grow through like the next five to 10 years, but it's not going to be, I don't think you're just going to go and have one job anymore in the mm-hmm. future. I think, I think you're going to have multiple jobs. I don't mm-hmm. think you're going to go and sign up with a hospital and that's going to be your only job. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think you're going to take a telemedicine job two or three days a week, probably going to do some consulting on the side. You might join a health tech company as a fractional CMO. And that's the sort of direction that I think we're going in for a lot of yeah. clinical careers. Well, I think too, though, people are going to need help breaking out of like the chains, you know? We've talked about this before, you know, you're in residency, you have a ton of debt, insurmountable debt for a lot of people, you know, myself included. And, you know, you're, you're getting to the finish line and you sign your contract. It has a big dollar sign on it. And you're like, okay, finally, you know, I'm going to be able to pay my things. I'm going to have stability. I'm going to know what's happening next. And it's hard to break away from that because, you know, all of us do need some financial stability to be okay. You know, a lot of people by the time they're 30, which is like one of the youngest ages to exit residency, have a family, you know, may have a house or whatever, you know, we have obligations and things like that. So I think people are going to have trouble, some trouble breaking out of that system and feeling, you know, steady enough to to do that and go to this more gig work, which I think mm-hmm. is definitely important to have more than one thing mm-hmm. going on. But, you know, this goes yeah. back to like, we should be teaching more people about like 
finance. Yeah. You know, most doctors don't know anything. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you, you know? brought up a good point because a lot of people, and I get this actually a lot from people is they want to start their own practice, but they don't feel like they have the time to go and do that. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't just leave your job and go start a new business. Like that's not right. the smart way to do it. Like you should have plan. a plan. Yeah. yeah. So the, the smart way to do it is, you know, you start to scale back appropriately. Mm-hmm. So if you have a full-time job or if you know, like, let's say you're a new, we'll do a couple of scenarios here. Let's say you're a new graduate and you know, you don't want to take a full-time job. You know, you don't want to work for the hospital. You want to start your own business, but you want to start making some money and paying off some bills. And you've been in residency for a long time. Now you got a family. You're like, I don't want to be like not making any money for the first year starting this mm-hmm. business. So there's several ways to structure this. You, you either, you take a part-time locum job where you work in a clinic for three days a week or four days a week. There's and tons the of them out there. locums are not talked about often. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. And I think everybody coming out of residency should probably start with a locums job because it will give you more insights into the kind of things you can do. And it'll give you more flexibility to explore other things. Like you don't want to take risks when you're 50. Mm-hmm. You want to take risks when you're 30. Can you and, explain what a, like just basics? Some people might not even know what a locum's job is. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, like you can do a locum urgent care job. If you're a family medicine doctor, you can do a locum uh, endocrinology do- job. There's locums for everything. It's just like you fill in so it's almost for like, other doctors. It's, like, it's almost like travel nursing yeah, kind of equipment. It's contracted in, work. In yeah, yeah. It's 1099 pay. You get paid 1099 and you can form you can open up your own escort, your own business account. You can use some of that money for tax deductions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you start off small. You start off doing locums. And then mm-hmm. you've, you let's say you have your passion is being an obesity medicine doc and just doing obesity medicine. You start lean. You start like a, you know, maybe you rent out an office for one day a week from a friend. Say, hey, just once a week, I need to borrow your office and see a couple patients. You start off with two or three, then four or five, then 20, then 30. Then you start growing slowly. And as that's growing, you scale back from like your locums job or from your other job. Mm-hmm. And then if your obesity medicine practice is taking off, then you can start going in on that deeper. And if it's not, and it's not doing well, maybe you got to try something else or figure out something else that's work that might be more appropriate, but it mitigates the risk. Right. Yeah. And I think that's definitely good to do. Cause I agree. I don't think you should just drop everything and, you know, go off. But the other thing too, is I think for a lot of new graduates, what's happening is, you know, in the third year of residency or fourth or fifth, or whatever, especially you're in, you're still really busy. Like you're still working like 80 hours a week and it's not easy to just like go interview for jobs. I remember when I was in residency, you know, we weren't really like allotted a lot of extra time to say, oh, I want to go do this interview. And so to put some of those things together, I think can be difficult. And I think that's kind of a common trap is at the end of residency, you're like scrambling to find a job and, you know, you, you sign whatever. Yeah. You need the money because you're running out. It's like almost they create this. I think the employers, the employers Mm -hmm. create this pressure. I think they're they're creating this pressure um, purposefully. A a lot of extra money. I mean, that's at least was true for me. You know, you get out of med school, like you're making no money in med school. Most people cannot hold a job. So then you go to residency, you make a very small amount of money Mm -hmm. in comparison to like what you're doing, the hours you're putting in. Mm And then a lot of these places, you're still living in an area of yeah. high cost. So the extra money that you have, you're trying to stay sane yeah. and do a couple nice things for yourself 
instead of like building an emergency fund or building funds for you to take a couple months off after residency, I don't think people are thinking ahead like that because it's not brought up. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever told me, yeah, maybe after residency, you're going to want to take a couple months off and you should save the money to do that. Okay. Well, yeah. And think about this. Let's just another thought experiment here. You work, let's say six days a week Mm -hmm. in residency, right? One of those days, you could go and work moonlighting doing the, you can moonlight for your own residency. That's also of, not talked about yeah. often. You and could, there's also a lot of yeah. rules about that. Yeah, but it's bullshit because it's all it's about the money. You could do that, make $120 an hour mm-hmm. moonlighting for your own residency, doing the same work you already would have been doing and making some extra real money mm-hmm. that's going to be able to help you. Yeah. You know? But why isn't that allowed? Why isn't that a thing? They make, oh, you're in residency to train? Bullshit. You're in residency to, to work. work. Yeah. You're in residency to work. You're getting trained. If it's really about the training, we wouldn't then, work so many hours. Yeah. But or it wouldn't be like such high volume. Yeah. The focus would be on education. If it's really about the training, then why can't you, after your first year, go and work with another doctor? What you like, would actually a, be doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things that are contradictory to what we say is the reason we're doing something. Right. Like, I get really heated up about some of these things because (laughs) for whatever reason, like I tested really high and based on things I get emotionally reactive to. And one of them is injustices. Like for whatever reason, like I probably should have been a lawyer, but I get really heated up about when people are being wronged. Yeah. Well, it doesn't feel good. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. I, whenever I was in residency, I had to rotate with general surgery Mm. for part of it. And like, I literally was like holding the laparoscopic camera for hours in the OR when I was like, I'm not learning anything. If anything, I'm like, you know, my wrist is in pain and I didn't learn really anything. And why did I need to do that? Because these surgeons didn't have a first assist from a surgery program. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like literally, I, I mean... I wasn't planning to do surgery. Why couldn't I say that? This isn't, I'd rather spend this time learning about obesity medicine, or I'd rather spend this time learning about finances. Why can't, why can't some of the residencies be more like tailored to what you actually want to do? Yeah. Like, what is the reason? And the reason goes back to, we already know this, that hospital systems make a lot of money off of residents and the care that they provide. I mean, it's, it's being highlighted more. You know, I saw some post recently about how, you know, residents again are being asked to work more hours than they're supposed to be working and they're not being compensated because of COVID, you know, yeah. and it's preying on the whole, like, you yeah. know, we're good people. We want to help people. Of yeah. course we do. And um, then what's the justification? The justification is, oh, they're in training. They're learning. Yeah. They're learning so we can pay them less. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. What, <laughs> are, what other comments did you get? Um, a she couple, was with another one. That one took us on a tangent. Yeah. Well, another another common one was people who who have either gone through remediation in residency mm. or gone or experienced something in residency that they are probably a little bit too ashamed to ever admit to anybody else. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they felt like now they could admit that to me. And mm. so I've had a lot of people reach out and say, you know, like, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. I experienced that in residency. It was terrible. It was such yeah. bullshit. It was this. It was that. And they, nobody wants to sound, I think what I've realized, and sometimes it's funny because a lot of people open up to me now, like randomly, Mm -hmm. like if they, you know, either got kicked out of their residency or maybe left residency unexpectedly, or maybe took a leave of absence or Mm -hmm. something like that. They'll reach out to me because 
for whatever reason, do you think I might be able to <laughs> offer some guidance, which I try to, but I can hear through people's words. Like I can read between the lines of what they're saying mm-hmm. because I've been there, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes me like, it's interesting because I remember saying similar lines because I felt too ashamed to talk about my story, Yeah, you know, so I could, I'd be, nobody I'd be, nobody talks about yeah. it. So I'd be reading between the lines and obviously, you know, like I, I'm, I'm just listening. I'm just hearing them out and I'm like, you know, no, man, I get it. I get it. Like it's bullshit. And there's a lot of things that it doesn't mean you're any less of a great mm-hmm. doctor or any less mm-hmm. of um, well, whatever. It, it just means people are people. Like there's some, like someone might have it out for you and yeah. you just get, <laughs> you just get screwed over. Like, yeah. and that's just, that's part of life. Well, our culture obviously definitely values like perfection and we don't like to talk about things that are shameful, obviously, mm-hmm. but it doesn't help anybody. It makes you just, like I said before, feel more alone, you yeah. know, in a, in a time that I think people already feel very lonely in yeah. residency and in medical school. I remember in medical school, I failed my general surgery shelf by like one point and I had been up, uh, you know, I had to take my test basically after a night shift, which... I mean, there's tons of research to show that that's just not, not good. And I remember I was like, so embarrassed by that. And I actually posted it on social media. Eventually, I think it was after I had, I think actually it was before I remediated and redid the test. And within like a week, I like barely even restudied. And I took the test after sleeping and I had scored like substantially higher but I remember so many people messaged me after that, just being like, thank you. You know, I, I failed this too. And yeah. because it's our culture thinks like failure is failure yeah. instead of thinking failure is a way, you know, quote unquote, failure is a way to learn more things it's, and have some yeah. kind of lesson, you know, yeah. owning it is the most counterintuitive thing. It's so funny. Cause I, it makes you feel better. I think. Yeah, it does. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel lighter. And Actually, you think with the thought process, you think people are going to respect you less mm-hmm. or they're going to think less of you. And most of the time, what you'll notice is like people are incredibly grateful and respect you more for being honest and owning, owning your story, which is what I've learned. Like I, I try to always remind myself that if I am like, if I just own this, people are going to respect the fact that I'm owning this. Mm-hmm. They're not going to not respect me because... Mm-hmm. I didn't finish residency or, right. you know, I, I, the worst thing, like the worst thing. And <laughs> it's unfortunate that people feel they have to do this. But when you lie about your experience, like there, there are a lot of doctors that didn't finish residency. Some of them just hide it, outright <laughs> hide it. Like they yeah. just avoid it, calculate their words so it never comes mm-hmm. up, like avoid the entire conversation. Just own it, like fucking yeah. own it. What do you tiptoe? I'd respect you so much more if you just owned that. Well, because people think, though, you know, they assume, yeah. oh, if you didn't finish residency, it's on you. Like, you did something wrong when almost, you know, it doesn't really seem like that's the case in, in most scenarios. It seems a system failure. I mean, this happened to me in residency, actually. I was going through, like, really a lot of stress. Like, I, what is happening right now is, like, not working for me. This is during, you know, kind of the COVID explosion Every day, it was like a new email saying like, you're going to be doing this. You're being pulled to this thing. You, you thought you were out of, you were done for inpatient for a while. Nope. You got to come back. You're jeopardized. And so Mm. many constant changes. And I was really struggling with that, which was normal actually. And I remember kind of the response to me asking for help and kind of some changes, maybe decreasing some of my clinical hours if possible, or just doing something, anything to help me. 
the response was basically like, maybe you need to take a leave of absence. Yeah. Jesus. And, you know, to me, I I was like, thank goodness I had like enough personal insight to be like, this is not a problem with me. This is actually a problem with the system. I'm doing quite, quite well for the circumstances. You know, went to a top medical school, went to, was top of her class, went to a top residency. Like, come on, like, it's like formulated to make you feel like the person that there's something wrong with. I was like, I I remember being in shock actually, and just being like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, actually, you know, I'm quite freaking resilient, you know, if anything. But, you know, in residency, it's just like the stakes are so high, everything's so high, you know, and Mm -hmm. you're in a system where you have to believe that it's your fault. Yeah. Instead of other people just trying to like help you and, yeah. and get through times that are tough for everyone. Yeah. So it rewards the know. wrong things. It rewards it you for being a people pleaser, which is not a good thing. It's not healthy to be that no, way. Or a perfectionist. Yeah. It's not it rewards healthy. you for trying to be a perfectionist. It rewards you for trying to take on more than you can handle. It mm-hmm. rewards you a lot for self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So the more yeah, you can you're say, seen as like an amazing yeah. resident. If you, yeah. if you volunteer to do like extra shifts, all these yeah. things like- of course, everyone would think, wow, what a team player. Yeah. I hate that when yeah. people say like, oh, you know, yeah. one of the things that happened recently, I had a friend who- um, I want to make this podcast so not PG, but I'm going to bite my tongue. Keep it PG. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I had a friend who, you know, in the current climate of, of healthcare was asked to do some hospitalist work, um, even though, you know, they're a primary care person and, and generally do outpatient stuff, asked to volunteer for that. Um, to help with the COVID crisis or whatever. And so this person was like, okay, you know, I think I could do that, but I would like to know, you know, my compensation. And if I'm going to be working nights or weekends, I would like extra compensation um, for those things. And then I'd be willing to do it. Perfectly reasonable things to ask. And the response was basically, um, you know, we can't do that right now, but thanks for being such a team player. Those words, exactly. And, you know, and it's just these things that happen to us and all of us in healthcare are like, you know, nice people. Like we, we do want to help people. That's our primary motivation. And so of course, you know, a lot of people just fold and we are the team players, but to our own sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, yeah. being mentally unwell, physically unwell, mm-hmm. all these things. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that a lot in residency where I felt like, I don't know. I just felt like, I felt like there was something wrong with me. And the more I've reflected on this and the more I've thought about everything, I realize. Look, I had definitely screwed up in some areas, like in training. But that's um, normal. But like, yeah. You're and, human. Right. But I, I also, I think my personality, like, is is one of those personalities that really just didn't fare well with being a resident. And like, and it goes back to that thing that I mentioned earlier of like, injustice just rubs me the wrong way. And it really like... Like I felt so much resentment Mm -hmm. and it just ate me up all the time because Mm -hmm. residency, it just made me resentful. It just made me feel like I was being wronged, made me feel like my colleagues were being wrong. And like, Mm -hmm. I always want, I wanted to be the one that would speak up, of course, to my own detriment, I'd get in trouble. Yeah. Like, you know, and so. But we need to shift from that kind of a culture of if you speak up and say something that you're deemed like the problem child. I don't really think it should be that way. You know, I think if anything, it just tells me or shows me that you have new ideas. You have things that you want to say that could potentially improve the situation for everybody. Mm -hmm. But our culture just like doesn't 
It doesn't align yeah. with that, sadly. Well, yeah. And it just certain environments of value. <laughs> Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. And when you're not drinking the Kool-Aid, you look like you look like an imbecile. Well, and I actually think though, talking to more and more people, I think a lot of people realize there's problems, understand, but again, you're in a system where you are the lowest rung on the ladder. You can't do a lot. What you have to lose is really high. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier sometimes to just put your head down. Yeah. But it's sad. It is. Like you want to talk about burnout? The times I felt the most burnout in my life are those times that I wanted to speak up. And you didn't. Or the times that I was just like, this is so fucked. This is so wrong. And I didn't say something. I would end up in a depression. I swear to God. I would Mm -hmm. end up like... That would burn me out. Mm-hmm. It was. It wasn't like it wasn't the work. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I, I'm. I'm a hard worker. <laughs> I work like a hundred hours a week. Mm-hmm. Like when I was starting my business or when I'm doing what I'm doing now. Like I work hard. Mm-hmm. Like I like, especially when it's, I'm doing something I enjoy. I burned out from those things. Yeah, I agree. And that's. It's just. I think a lot of doctors would say or would agree. It's there's some things that you can't quite you know put your finger on. But a combination of lack of autonomy, lack of respect, lack of individuality or mm-hmm. ownership of your time and lifestyle, mm-hmm. combination of those sorts of things are really the major contributors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in medicine, I think there's almost no boundaries. I don't know, you know, a lot of practices, they give access, patients access to doctors 24-7 with the EMR. You know, you go home, but oh, wait, you have a message. Oh, wait, you know, this person has a new clinical question and you need to provide answers free of charge on your off hours. I mean, you know, we've got nurse triage lines at night. We've got, you know, somebody on call on Christmas. There's no boundaries in medicine. And you and I both know, like from therapy probably, that, you know, (laughs) boundaries are good. Yeah. You know, boundaries are good, but we can't put up boundaries with patients. Yeah, we can't. It's not healthy. So I'm like, you know, then doctors are getting calls in the middle of the night for a refill on albuterol when this person could have called tomorrow. You know, I mean, it's just, if we just made more boundaries, doctors would probably be happier. Yeah. A lot of people would probably be happier. Yeah. And actually, boundaries tend to benefit both parties. Mm-hmm. Maybe not initially, but in the long run, they do. Absolutely. Yeah, There's a. I have some examples that we could definitely t- talk about here. But I think you definitely have to have boundaries with patients, especially in the way health insurance and patients are taught to use the medical system, which is not really it's not any patient's fault. It's just mm-hmm. the way we're conditioned in American healthcare to perceive our medical care. Right. I think if patients knew more what was going on behind the scenes, like they probably wouldn't want to bother their doctor in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. for something that was not urgent. I think most people would respect that if they understood, but it's advertised as like a come to our health system because you have access to your doctors all the time. And just there's an entitlement aspect to it, which Mm -hmm. is wrong. And I think I've I've had this conversation before about the, the idea of you know, people being entitled to healthcare or entitled to medical services. I, I think everybody is entitled to access. They're not entitled mm-hmm. to great care mm-hmm. because you can't forcibly give someone what is someone else's service. Like you can't, like I can't force you to give someone great care. 
Mm-hmm. If you don't feel like the patient's receptive to you, mm-hmm. why are you obligated to exhaust yourself for this person that may not be receptive mm-hmm. to anything you do or say? Oh, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. these things that are, I'll give you an example, like, you know, on my EMR, I need to have people do their preventative care and I order it. And if they do not want to get it done or do not do it, then we get dinged and mm-hmm. we make less money for that, which is like, I mean, I did all the counseling. I told them why it was important, mm-hmm. but they chose not to do it, which patients should have a choice. Yes, you know, exactly. If, if they want to make an informed decision that they don't need HIV screening, they yeah. feel they're low risk. And I agree with that. But if they don't do it and the little you know, alert doesn't go away on my EMR, then now yeah. I'm compensated less. Yeah. The it's goal ridiculous. is not to create a codependency between you, us and patients. Yeah. Patients are to be informed by their doctors, to be guided in the right direction. Mm-hmm. No one's look. If you're not gonna, I'm telling you how to get healthier. I'm gonna be compassionate, especially if I really like you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna go the extra mile for you. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna really try to help you, especially if I see that commitment back. Like that's gonna engage mm-hmm. me even more, and I'm gonna be more invested in you. And I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna spend time. And if you show me you're willing to work on this, I'm going to invest in you further mm-hmm. and we're going to really try to make things work. But if you're coming to me for a quick pill or a quick solution and you don't want to do any of the work, mm-hmm. if you're being rude, if you're acting entitled, if you're saying, well, why is my A bond C not lower? It was lower three months ago. Why is it higher? Well, well I walked you in the right direction. I guided mm-hmm. you. Like there's a, some people just don't want to do the work mm-hmm. or don't want to do not only the work, but don't want to take responsibility for their own health. And it's not the doctor or the provider's role to take on that responsibility. Mm -hmm. You have to give people their own choice and do your job in terms of guiding them in the right direction. Yeah. And I think in some scenarios that is definitely true that some patients don't want to participate. I do also think though that our system is so convoluted that it makes it very difficult for patients to even do the right things. You know, I mean, I have tons of patients that they, you know, they have multiple jobs. They can't really commit to certain things. Their medications are too expensive. Wait, they've, the EMRs aren't connected. So actually they can't remember if they got, you know, X, Y, or Z done. And none of this stuff's taught to you in school. It's like being a patient is a full-time job. You know, I've had a couple of, you know, health issues recently and it's like, I have some trouble navigating things and I'm a doctor. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And I I try to like empower patients to, you know, keep their own records, know what's going on, understand what's going on. But I can see how, you know, it's bigger than just the patient in many many cases. You have to, you have empathy and accountability have to always go hand in hand. Like Mm -hmm. you have to have empathy for people's situations. You have to empathize with people. You have to be able to put yourselves in people's spots and it and and that actually relieves it relieves resentment it relieves Mm -hmm. negative feelings like when you're able to empathize with someone it's not about you they had they're living their own experience Mm -hmm. at the same time you have to hold people yeah there has to be accountability and you can be responsible for what other people are accountable for Mm -hmm. and you got to keep those two things like together i think but let's wrap it up i think we've had a pretty good conversation Let us know what you guys think. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, hit one of us up, webby.do or Medicine in Michigan. Tag us on social. Let us know what you like. Send me a DM. I'm really curious about the feedback. I enjoy hearing from people because it guides us in the right direction and lets us know what people are resonating with and what we should talk more about. So please send us that feedback. All right. Peace out, guys. <laughs>